0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Yeah, let's go Parshas masse, everybody, 5783. Okay, this is kind of an interesting Pusik. It's in Empiric Lamin Gimel Pusik Mem Tess. So, toward the end of Mass, but not exactly at the end, it says, They were camped by the Jordan River from Base Hayashimos until Avelashitim in the plains of Moab. Okay, obviously it's on the eastern side of the Jordan River, we all understand that, but Rashi says that this Pusik tells us how big, how large the camp of B'nai Yisrael was. Then they traveled to the desert, how big were they, how much space did they take up? And it says it was 12 mil, which is give or take three parsa, around six miles, around six miles. Okay, a six-mile area is huge and it certainly sounds like it's six miles by six miles that is a huge area we tried doing it before it's in massive area it's from if you would go all the way and i know i realize i'm speaking in chicago so i'm sorry for anybody who's not from chicago but if you would go since we have basically a grid going on here if you would go all the way down mccormick to get all the way past golf you go all the way to green bay and you took green bay you'd have to go all the way to Tel that's how far it would basically be from one way to the other. And then going this way, you're going from the lake to a little past Skokie Jeeva, to somewhere in Niles. That is a huge area. It's a massive, massive area. If this is the idea, the Gemara tells us that none other than Ravah Barbarchan, the great Amora, right, the Talmud of Rabbi Yochanan, traveler extraordinaire, he saw this area and he says that's how large this area was. He says in an Ereven nun of The Rokeach says the words, is the same gematria as shlosh parsos al shlosh parsos He. 3 by three parcels it is <laughs> now I'll tell you honestly, I did the numbers. It's actually up by 20. okay? There, there are there are 20 missing over here since the latter is 2870, the first one is 2850. In some versions he adds the word key before the word shlosh, which makes it 2,900 versus 2,850. Either way, it's close. <laughs> so, when you get over, like, 2,500, you know how like, sometimes you could be off by one? So then you could be over by 50, and it's okay. Then we're not going to worry about it so much. I don't know what's missing exactly, but that's what the Rokar says. The Torah Shlema brings down quite a few Mari Macomos that give the, the exact same number. Brocho Stav Nundalit We all know this. Og lifted up a mountain right above his head. He was going to throw it on the Jews and destroy them all. That was three parsos, right? That's the idea behind it. Samach the furthest anyone was from the Aron Kodesh, which was right in the middle, was three Parsos, which means it was three Parsos altogether. Yoma, Yuma, Ayin Bays, where it talks about those who had to get the Mun and later go to the bathroom when the Mun stopped falling, that they had to leave the camp in order to do so. It was a distance of three parses away from one end of the camp to the other. Sanhedrin, Hayom Abbez, Atalmud, Shana Pasken Alacha, within the amount of three parses. That's the amount of the idea. Yerushalmi, Shviz, Perek Vav. Yerushalmi Gittin, Perek Alphalacha Bez. Vayikor Raba in Chav Zayin. Chav Sif Zayin. Tanchuma, the Medrash Tanchuma and Achremos in Perek Vav. The Mechilta and Yisro, Perek Chav. Yalkut, shimoni in four different places. And more. There are other places, but they all say the basic same number of three parses by three parses. But there's a problem. In Shiltas to Rav HaChoigo, Shiltas brings down a part of Ayish Lach It says, Mach Yisrael is larger not three by three parses, six by six parses. That is 12 miles by 12 miles, which is so unbelievably large, you couldn't imagine it. 12 miles is basically from here to downtown Chicago. And if you want to go that way, you're going to the absolute edge of some of the suburbs, right? 12 miles all the way out there. It's a huge area, right? He says this regarding oh that he lifted up a mountain that was large enough to throw on Claudia. So clearly arguing an argument that says three by three. He says six by by six, And it's strange. Targum Yonasen and Parsha's Chukas says the exact same thing. Over there he doesn't say six by six, but he says it is six Parsos, not three Parsos. Which again leads to the question, what in the world is this Machlokas? Why would it be that big and what exactly are we talking about here? The Chassam Sofer is the only one that really talks about this. He says it at the end of Parsha's Bullock says, although the Gemaras all seem to say three by three, this is the correct girsa and it should really be six by six. And he explains, that's because there were 600,000 people in Klai Now again, I'm going to go with something, and I'm not sure why he does this. He does not include women, children, and older people. He goes with the 600,000 Jews that were in Klai at the time. They seem to have needed an area that was three by three parsa. But you have to also include the Mishkan, which was right in the middle. 2,000 amos of space on each side. 2,000 amos is how much, everybody? 2,000 amos, is it a mil, parsa? It's a mil. So we got 2,000 amos on each side. That means a mil and a mil. That's two milen, right? Half of a parsa. As well as machna Levia, You didn't count that. As well as the Sidur Hadagullim the orders of the DeGalem and how they set everything up, which also took up space. So his suggestion is, is the actual number of 600,000 people requires a little less than 3 by 3 parsa. It's 3 by 3 parsa including the Mishkan, including Machim including all that area. So therefore it's really, 600,000 people require three quarters by three quarters three quarters of the full amount of three by three Parsha right and that's the full amount says the Chassam Sofer but there's still something missing Targum Yonason over here says in Parsha's Bo, and the Parsha Kishesh Meosel there were around 600,000 people that the Erevrav were four times bigger than all of B'nai Yisrael now if B'nai Yisrael was 600,000 people large that means that the Erevrav were 2.4 million in fact that is the Machlokis and the Mechilta the Mechilta brings down by the Hamush Bnei that one-fifth of Bnei Yisrael, right, I should say four-fifths of times Bnei Yisrael was the amount of the eruv Rav. Which means, again, if Bnei Yisrael is 600,000, and they're four times larger, that means they had 2.4 million. That's Rabbi Akiva's opinion in the Mechilta. Rabbi Akiva goes to that exact number. To fit them, you would need three more sizes of three quarters by three quarters of three parsa by three parsa. Since 600,000 people take up three quarters of three by three parsa, they didn't have Machinal of based Mikdash by them. You would multiply it by three altogether. And that means with the Arabrav, the people took up four sections of three by three parses each. Now, if we did this, guys, and I know, I'm sorry, I apologize, but three by three, three by three, 3 by 3, 3 by 3. How much is that? It's 6 by 6. In order to double a cube, you have to times it by 4. Okay, I hope that's okay. I know this is really hard. But three by three, right, multiplied by four should be the amount of six by six, which means that Targum Yonason was right. B'nai Yisrael only needed the three by three parses, right? But with everything else, the Mishkan, Machna Leviya, and the Erev Rav, you would need altogether six by six. Shoma, what are you going to ask? they were they would have been in the corners and if you add the corners, then you're looking at a massive box. If you had, like I'm looking from my sets, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvuin over here, right? M- the middle being the Arun the Mishkan, and Machna, Lavia. And then on top, you have Dun, Naphtali, and Usher. And over here, you have Ephraim, Menashe, and Binyamin. And the bottom, you have Ruvain, Shimon, and Gud. If you have all that, then there's corners that are not being used. That, those corners are where the Arab, Arab would be. And if you add it all together, then it would be that way. Yeah. Dunn, like Dunn correct, correct. They would have traveled behind. It, there's Mach Machlokas, right, how they traveled. If they were traveling in a line, if they traveled as the box that they were in, if they traveled in line, then yes, they would have had to have been behind Machne Dun, even though Dun was the Maasif, Yeah it's a, it's a quite Rukhain Knievsky actually talks about it in Derech Sicha they ask that question they say how in the world are they supposed to go in one path when it goes through so it's a simple answer the simple answer is that Derech Melech would have been just through Eretz Edom but they never went there, so that therefore they never split up. Would they have gone in a different direction? Maybe, right? But it makes more sense if they didn't go in a line, right, if they went in an actual box, when the measure says that all the mountains were knocked down in front of them, that, the, you know, the Arlen Kodesh was knocking them all down. Well, that makes sense if they went to the box. If they went in one line, you wouldn't need to knock down mountains. You just have to go around in certain areas. So it kind of makes sense to be able to go the way. Either way, right now, simple math, as we already said to you, right, simple math will tell you that four sections of three-by-three three parses actually six by six parcel. Now this Gersa in the Shiltos, in the Targum makes a total amount of sense. We got six by six because you're including the Arab right? When talking about B'nai Yisrael and their camp the area that they covered, the area that they had, including the Mishkan and Machan it was actually three by three. But when Og wanted to crush everyone with the mountain, he didn't just want to crush crush B'nai Yisrael. He wanted to crush the Erev with B'nai Yisrael. Then he needed a mountain that was six by six parsas. And that's exactly what he did. He picked up that area that was six by six parsa. Now the Chassam Sofer says, at the end of this, he says, Baruch Hashem Shehayur Baruch Hashem, that my eyes were lit up by this answer. That's exactly how he says it, and it's absolutely unbelievable. Now, he then explains the Gemara and Yuma beautifully. That Gemara and Yuma, the Gemara says there were people who had to go three parsa to go to the bathroom. Now, hold on a second. If the camp was three by three parsa, why would anyone have had to walk three parsas to go outside the camp to go to the bathroom? If the whole camp is three parsa, All you have to do is go outside the camp or outside the camp. The most you'd ever have to walk is one and a half parses in any direction not three parses. Why would the Gemara say you have to go three parses away to get out of the camp if the camp is only three by three parses? It must be that the middle point of six by six is what we're talking about and it's three parses from the middle to get to the edge of the camp. That's how he explains the Gemara in Yuma. That's the idea behind it. If the end of the camp was six parses, including the Arab Arab then it would make sense they'd have to go all the way out there. He goes through everything. He goes through all the different Gemaras and he explains that they all make sense of your Rebbe takes three parcels because again, the farthest you were from Moshe Rabbeinu, if you were in a camp with six by six parcels, Moshe Rabbeinu is right in the middle by Shavit Shevet Levi, would be six, by, three by three parsa. it would be three parcels away, at no point would you be more than three parcels but you could be less, obviously that's the idea behind it, the Magad, Gadim Chadoshim in Brochos, says there's another Targum Yonasan in Bamidbor Parak Bays, Pasigimel, which says Machne Yisrael is twelve mil by twelve mil and that's a problem because that's three by three parsa right? how could Targum Yonison argue on himself he says six by six in one place three by three in the other place so everybody says that's a stira that's a contradiction in Targum Yonison, but it's not a stira he's talking about Yog lifting up a mountain and trying to crush all of B'nai Yisrael including the Arabah that's six by six right? but when he's talking about B'nai Yisrael themselves their actual camp without adding anything out that was three by three that's the idea behind the of the part who talks about this at length in Pars by Mipur, part base pars of gimmel, right? And it's an idea. Now, this is all the massive Khidish of the Khsam Sulphur, and I take unbelievable issue with it. Umbrin's Umbridge? Umbridge, I think it is, with it. I, I, I don't understand it at all. His whole idea is six hundred thousand people take up a space of three quarters of three by three parsa. And therefore, when you add on the Rav, etc. But there's women and children also. Why are they being ignored? saw themselves was 2.4 million people. When you add on 2.4 million Arabrab, it should be double three by three parses, not quadruple three by three parses. I momish don't understand what he's talking about. The 2.4 and 2.4 should be equal to one another. It should have been six by three parses. Six by three, not six by six, at least the way that I'm understanding it. I, I just, I don't get why he's not including it. And if you tell me that the answer is that by the Erebrov it's 2.4 million men, but that's not including the Erebrov's women and children, you mean to tell me, i just like, look, the number 600,000 is hard to understand. The number two point five million Jews is difficult to understand. To tell me that the Erebrov had seven and a half million people joining Klael Yisrael on the outskirts of Klael Yisrael is beyond impossible to understand. To say that there were ten million people that were surrounding the Aron at one point in the mid I'm not doubting anything that God can do. I'm what I'm the only thing that I'm saying is is that those numbers sound way too high. I am not arguing anything. If I go up to Shemayim and a Karthish Park was like, you didn't believe me that there were 10 million Jews in the desert? i will be like, no, I believe you. I have no problem with this whatsoever. But I kind of find it hard. I wouldn't have told you that... that- like, I wouldn't have any problem with somebody telling me that it was 600,000 because it was the chashivas of the people out there. Now, I know that is absolute k'fir, and I'm not going to say that. But if I got there and somebody told it to me in Shemayim, then I would say, not k'fir at all. Down here, I would tell you're a kofor and you deserve you, you, don't, you don't belong here. But up there, I'd say, like, okay, that kind of makes sense to me. It kind of makes sense to me. But I'm not going to argue on anything that's simple and portion. I just don't understand the chasam sofer's chiddish, which he says is MS. MS. But I, I don't know too many times that Stam Sofer calls something absolute MS. But I don't understand. I just don't understand. It. Aside from that, the numbers are so staggeringly big. I already told you how 6 by 6 miles is. 12 by 12 miles is a crazy huge area for people to be. For them to go throughout the entire desert. I'm not sure what to say about it. I really don't know what to say about it. I'm not not sure. I I, I can't understand how this isn't a girsa issue, like a textual issue. There's something that's missing a little bit from there. But the Chassam Sober is clearly not saying that. And it's just an amazing thing, and it's all learned from this pasuk. Now, Rashi says there were plains in Shittim that were especially called Avil. That was their names, and that is one of the one that is one end of where they were. Avil is therefore the name of the plains, not a description of the place or another word that means plains. No, that's not what it is. Ovel was the name, that's what they call it, Ramban, says the word Ovel refers to any place that has no buildings, nothing in it, and it's just a dead place. By definition, it's an abdelus over itself, right? It's just sitting in mourning over something that it has, right? That's the idea. Haksad HaKabal gives other examples of the word Ovel meaning this way. He adds that this area may be very moist and marshy and therefore would make it very difficult to plant trees, make buildings, stuff that we know from when Peace, and Ram states were being built in Mitzrayim, someplace that wouldn't be able to work. It can't even be grazing pasture land. You can't even bring animals there because there's not enough there. It's just a marshy swamp that they would get stuck into the mud, etc. Maybe that's why it's called Ovel, since it seemed like a wasted area with nothing there but grasses. Now, this area, we would not be able to see nowadays in Jordan, whether it's because the, divert, the fact that we divert all the water from 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 the Kinneret to drinking water and to irrigation water and whatever it is, and it no longer sinks the area, or there's something that happened geographically at some point that allowed Jordan to become the place that it is. There is no area in Jordan near the Kinneret or near the Jordan River or near the Dead Sea that is anything like a swampy marshland that the Ksada Kabbalah or the Ramban is referring to. Well, a dead land it could be. It is kind of dead. It's a desert area and that's that. But there's nothing like a swampy marshland. But the truth is, I don't know, Meish Arim was a swamp before they drained it and made it into Meisharim. That was a swamp that was inhabited by leopards and lions, right? Only 130 years ago. That's all it was. So it's possible that such a thing could be. But let's go a little bit further. The Chizkuni says, this is the area known as Bamosagai, Sagai, the heights of the valleys earlier in Parskukas, the Psukamana are giving specific names for it, right? Not just a valley and a hill. Or it's the same as Yeshimon, that's mentioned in Parskukas, the wasteland around Moab. The Barbanel seems to say there was a stream running through it. It's possible. Basi Yashim was translated by Abin Ezra as the valley that looks out to the front of the mountain Yashimon that was mentioned earlier in part of where Valley Kaplan says he calls it an area three miles north of the Dead Sea's northeast corner near the Abu Araba stream, which may be Nahliel. There's a plain between the Jordan River and Araba Mountains near the Ujemi U- Brook or Uhemi Brook, I don't know, right? That's around 12 miles wide, so it makes sense this area is called Avalashitim. I looked this up as much as I could in Google Maps. I couldn't find any of it. Nothing. I didn't he- see any of these names. I didn't see any of the areas he's talking about. I went exactly three miles northeast to where Rivaria Kaplan says this place is. I did a little thing, and I did like a little thing. I did, you know, travel three miles northeast on like Google Maps. I spent a good 17 minutes on this, okay? And that's a lot of time for me to do any sort of research whatsoever. 17 minutes, and I could not find anything. So I think either the geogra- geography changed drastically, or Rivaria Kaplan was talking about someplace in China. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I definitely could not see what he was talking about. Like, he kept saying, like, exact names. It sounded amazing. And then I'm looking up, I'm like, there is no, what, (laughs) there's nothing here. I have absolutely no idea what he was referring to. But again, I also might not know how to read maps. So I'm not positive I'm right. All of those things I took into account, and it was part of my 17 minutes of, of highlighting where it was over there. I was even going to bring a map, but I didn't think it would help, because like oh, was that going to help. Ibn Ezra says, that unless, you know what, Google Maps might be lying. That's a possibility also. I put nothing past the government, so it's possible. Okay, so that's that. Ibn Ezra says that this is an area very close to the Jordan River and their last stop before going to Eretz Canaan. It makes sense that this is where Kaddish Pachau would give them their final warnings, get, tell them everything they need to know in Parsha's Devarim, write all the that they need before they enter the land. It totally makes sense that that's the area there they went. The previous puzzle calls it Al Yardane Yurecho upon the River Jordan. Rav Schwab points out it's probably not referring to to Yericho because Yericho as we all know right is a city in Eretz Israel and that's Yericho this was called Yericho and although it sounds the same it's likely referring to an area around the city and that's the area without a Yud by the way if that's true that answers a ton of Kashas and Tanakh well, you always wonder, they're standing by Yericho, the city, and Yoshua says no one can build up this city ever again, and yet Yericho comes up again and again and again in Tanakh, sometimes called Ira Tamarim, sometimes called Yericho itself, and while I don't doubt that Chiel built up Yericho again and had his kids killed for it, that happened in, the, in Malachim Aleph slash Malachim Bays, right, that did happen. But Yurejo might have been an area nearby that wasn't the same. If this shot behind the Ruk Schwab, what he's trying to say over here is what it's referring to, it's possible it's a totally different area. And that we're looking at something totally different where people are moving to Yurejo, not Yurejo. It changes everything. I don't know. Talioro says, right? There's another reason why it's called Yericho throughout Sefer Yoshua, but Yericho here. Rabbi Menachem Azari Mipano says, Until now, the Kenanim lived there. They angered at Baruch with their actions. A Lashon of Yichar Apo, angering Hashem. From now on, the area would be used for better reasons. It would begin to smell better, so to speak. Thus, its name became Yericho, not like Ru- Yarach, which would be like that idea of yichar, switching the letters around. But Yericho is in the reach, the smell of the area would be a lot better. Okay, all of that is in pshat. Now we're going to get to an idea of what this might mean, beremez What are the hints that this Pesach is trying to say over here? The Rokeach says these two places, Avalashitim and this area that we might be referring to as Basi Yishimos, refer to the terrible things that happen in this area. Yesh Maves, right? Yishimos is Yesh Mavas. There was death because there were Chayiv Misa in this area. Avil Hashitim is that they mourned the 24,000 Jews that died at Shitim because of the Benos Midyan, the Benos Moav, and everything that they convinced them to worship Baal Peor. They acted like fools. Ba'ar Ravos could be switched around to Ba'ar To a fool, Ba'arvos Moavid, Ba'ar, right, and fell prey to Shitim, which is the Satan himself. So the entire thing is referring to this concept, this crazy concept of what happened, and they were mourning all the people who died here. Ayelas Ashaka, Rav Steinman says, the word of hints to the sadness that they felt in this area, similar to the Rokeach, when many people died in the plague after Parshas Bullock. It seems that he would say that the place got named after they were there. They didn't come to a place that was named Avalashitim. It was Avalashitim after they left. Right? That's the idea behind it. I think that's the idea. The Mian Lois says the exact opposite, seemingly. Moshe Rebbe didn't realize when they arrived there, he really was going to die. He wasn't sure but at this point, he realized that he wasn't going to make it into Eretz Yisrael, and the people mourned him in this area, which is why the word Oval is here. It's because of what's going to happen in the future. Moshevin obviously was upset. He began to do everything that he could to be forgiven for that sin, so that he could enter Eretz Yisrael, right? Yeah, Barbanel seems to say that as well, and that's Oval Ashitim, referring to not the people who died at Sheetim, but rather Moshe who's a velus that happened in this area. Imre Ashefer says, this must be true, because the area was called Sheetim beforehand, and Arshus without the word avel attached to it. It was just called Shittim. When B'nai Yisrael either sinned and died in a plague or recognized that Moshe was about to die, they started an Avelus process. And that's the idea of why it was called avel Shittim from that point on, that's the idea what it was. The Menachem Seon, right where Zach says that these words could describe the world's outlook nowadays, and he says nowadays is about 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when the overall hashkafa of the world has been lowered. <laughs> if it was lowered 50 years ago, it's quite, quite gone down a little bit since then. He says, this the crooked way of tricking people into znus and avodazara that prevailed at Sheetim, and that's what the venous mob did, right? They had the old woman on the outside and the young woman on the inside. The old woman would hack their wares, and then when a person was interested, she'd say, oh, there's better prices inside. The woman would be inside a club up tent that was hot with perfumes everywhere. And she would offer like a really cheap price and then tell the person, etc. Getting the people involved, sort of like the internet, trying to get you in, right? And once you're in, you're hooked. You couldn't get yourself out. People, that idea, what happened in Sheetim had become me sure. That became the straight path for so many people. It became something that was totally normal. People will wear things. Right? Obviously, now that were totally highly inappropriate, even 20 years ago, let alone 40 years ago, let alone 60 years ago. There are parades with people deciding not to wear anything at all. We are in official mobble times, everybody. Mabal times. This is exactly what the Pirate Kid describes what happened before the mobble. And thank God at least there's some people with a semblance of uh, of just decency who understand that this is still crazy. That this is crazy. It's not just a Noah getting up anymore. It's pretty much half the world saying, well, you guys are nuts. You guys are absolutely crazy. Right? And saying that this is, seems to be really, really crazy. This is the idea obviously, right, the idea is, and says the other, it's the other people who are at fault, these people think, for treating them as objects, even as they objectify themselves, he says, by wearing things that make people look at them in that way. It's the craziest Menachem Sion you've seen, where he goes right into that. Tznias is far from understood, he says, by men and women, not just by women, it's not something you just teach for women, it's by men as well. Wait, I I, I don't mean, I'm not going to say this in like, Whatever, because I know that I'm being recorded and I realize I'm getting out there. But, like, okay, women obviously have an issue with sneas that's for them. But for us, as men itself, why are biking outfits okay? Like, I- I'm not positive I totally get it. Like, I'm not saying that anybody wears a biking outfit is evil. That's not what I'm saying. But, like, why, why is that okay? Like, if guys have... Great bodies and muscles, etc. Why is it okay to showcase that by wearing super tight? Now, granted, I also have a tremendously muscular body and I have a hard time showing, you know, not showing it off. But, like, I, I just, why isn't that an issue of sneeze? It kind of is, right? And if we do go to the beach or we do go to play basketball and obviously in separate beaches, etc., why is it okay to wear what we wear? Like, I'm not saying? <laughs> I don't know. I absolutely don't know. I'm not big enough or great enough to question this, so I've absolutely no idea. But, like, it's no longer that world where a bunch of guys could get together and they could just wear shorts and things are okay. We kind of know that that world is gone. That world is no longer our world. Without giving any details whatsoever, I, I just don't get it. It's sort of like, and again, this is the concept of what we're saying, we're in a velus over the loss of the Meshore That used to be. That's the concept. If only we understood what to do, we would be able to fix it all. And then it wouldn't be base Hayashimus, an area of ultimate destruction. Isn't that a crazy idea that he brings down? He says it's a remnant from over here. And again, I don't want to have to go viral with stuff like this. I'm not arguing. I just figure that it's better to go viral about arguing about what guys do than what girls do. Because that's not for us to really decide. That's really for, like, the great gedolim who don't really know what women are doing. And for women to take care of themselves. For us ourselves? I don't know. I think we can probably figure this out on our own. Like, we kind of we understand it. We ca- I'm sure everybody's asked this question to themselves before. They just didn't verbalize it. It's now I'm verbalizing it, and now you can think about it. Okay? That's just it. That's fine. Not telling you not to bike. You should bike. Okay, that's that. Kleoker. The Kleoker says that this entire Pusuk is a remez to Arona Coin's death. Chazal tell us in Roshon Yerchaz Mabeiz the death of a tzaddik is like the burning of the Beis Mikdash. That's a famous Gemara. We mentioned something like that with Miriam a couple weeks ago. The hint to this is in the beginning of the parsha, which says that Aaron died in the 40th year in the 5th month. That's Rosh Chodesh Av coming up this week. Right? Which is the same month as the future destruction of the Beis Mikdash. Since Rosh Chodesh Av is when Aaron passed away Beis Mikdash would be on Tishabav. Obviously both Bati Amikdash were destroyed on Tisha itself. Therefore, and that was set in time all the way from the times of the Meraglam, it seems clear that there's a connection between Aaron Akoin's death and Tishbab itself, the destruction of the base of Mikdash. The only reason why we need to know Aaron's death and when it was, says the Kali is to know this concept, that his death is compared to the korban itself. And that's why these two places are mentioned over here. Hayashimos is Shmama, destruction. Obviously a reference to the korban itself. That's the idea of what it's referring to over here. Avel refers to shitim, the loss, the mourning that we have for a cedar tree that has fallen, the huge tree, a tzaddik that has fallen. Ovel shitim refers to Aaron's death. Beis HaYishimos refers to the Beis HaMikdosh being destroyed both of them are compared which is why we know when Aaron passed away we don't know when Miriam passed away from the Pukhamesh itself we have to figure it out we don't exactly know when Moshe Rabinu passed away that we have to figure out but Aaron is straight out for this reason to be able to know that there's a connection between those two it's as if both ends of the camp felt the exact same thing that when there's a death of a great man it's like the destruction of a massive Beis HaMikdosh that's the concept. That's how the Kali puts it. yal Shimoni Yeshaya Chavtes says by the Palsach, Right? This is what he says. The death of a Tzadik is worse than the 98 curses that are mentioned in Parsha's Kiselva by the Tokacha, as well as the Chorban Basin Worse. Not equal to. Worse. That seems to contradict our Gemara Rosh Hashanah, right? Because our Gemara Rosh says they're equal to one another. But the truth is, there are some obvious differences that he explains very, very well. In Rosh Hashanah, the word used is Misa HaTzadikim. The Misa of Tzadikim is like the Korban. The Midrash says, Silukan Shel Tzadikim. It doesn't say their death. It says, Silukon, Silukon, shel tzadikim. In the Gemara, it says, Kisrefas, Beis, Elokanu. Like the burning of the house of our Lord. The Meghr says, churban Beis, What is the difference between these four statements? Siluk, right, of a Tzadik, Misa, Sadikim. Khorban, Beis, Srefas, Beis, elokenu. What exactly is it? So listen to this Kliyakar. It's a beautiful thing. A Khorban is when the building remains a physical structure but all of its splendor and glory are gone there's nothing left but a shell of what it once was there's a siluk of its ruchnius and its beauty as if it has been abandoned sweifa is when even the physical body is no longer there it's totally burnt to the ground so not only is the ruchnius gone but the physicality, the actual gashmius is gone as well with sadikim. Misa refers to the body dying. But the Nishama still lives. The Nishama is alive and well, working for the people that it once represented down in this world. That's Misa. Misa is that tzaddik might be gone physically, but he's still with us spiritually. Siluk means even the Nishama that's connected to that tzaddik wants nothing to do with us anymore. The Nishama has been taken away, as if it's too high up to care about what's going on in this world. One can now understand... Misa of a tzaddik, right, is somewhat like Swepa, where the body of the tzaddik is no longer there the body of the Besamikdash has been taken away as well Siluk is like a korban; these spiritual aspects are completely gone, all that's left is an empty shell or absolutely nothing whatsoever that's how the Kliyarka puts it and that's what this Medrash means you might be able to say that the loss of a tzaddik's body in this world is equal to the loss of the actual base of Mikdash. Both are important for an aliyah. And one's inspired by going to a tzaddik the same way one is inspired by the beauty of the base of Mikdash. If you never saw Hadrian's building, says the Gemara Suk, it's like you've never seen a beautiful building in your life. That's obvious. But there's a major difference in the spiritual component of both the physical body of the Tzaddik leaving us, the physical structure of the Besameitrish leaving us, those are equal. And one is not worse than the other. Both of those are equally bad, and that's the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah. But when you're dealing with the Siluk and the Hurban, where the Tzaddik is gone completely, or the Besameitr's spirituality is gone completely, this is what happens. When the korban bais hamikdash happens and there's no physical or spiritual aspect of the bais hamikdash, the world loses a bit of a kid, bit of its kedusha. It's no longer there. The siluk of a tzaddik, the kedusha of a tzaddik leaving this world is a thousand times worse. You can rebuild a bais hamikdash. You cannot recreate a tzaddik of that caliber. The one that we know so well that we can't even imagine is somebody like Rav Chaim There's no way anyone is going to be like that ever again. And I know you could say the same thing about Ramosha Feinstein, what Ramosha Feinstein meant to the world when he passed away in 1986. You could say the same way to the Sephardi world, and really to us as well, where Vlad Yosef passed away. He was everything to them. You could go back and say this about the Benish Hai, the Kapitzkhaim, the Ish, to everybody. There are certain aspects that these city can have that will never, ever be replaced. Their ability to be gone where we no longer have that spiritual aspect of them in this world is immeasurable. It's irreparable. There's nothing you can do. You can't build that back up. A tzaddik is the yisod of the world. That tzaddik yisod olam. His neshama was carved out from beneath the kisei How can that possibly be made up the same way you can make up the kedusha? And it's even possible. I don't know. The kedusha rishona, kidsha to the That even without the aspect of the base of Mikdush, the kedusha might remain in a certain area, and it can't really be taken away. That's why this pasuk was brought by the medrash, and it's using the word lehafli. Destroying all the world around it, which explains the Pasuk, that of the Chokhmas which weakens the world terribly, the Siluk of a Tzaddik is that much worse, immeasurably worse, than the Chorban Beisel Mikdash. There's no comparison to the two, even if the death of a Tzaddik might be equal to Srefas base Ok. It's an unbelievable Kliyukr. You can look at it inside yourself that goes through every single one of these aspects, but it's really an unbelievable concept to go through. But that's that, everybody. We'll stop right here. Have a great Shabbos.